listening to Monday's Law and Gospel on this October the 14th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays we take a look at one of the lessons for the coming Sunday, which is the 19th Sunday after Pentecost on October the 20th, 2019. We could look at Psalm 121, Genesis 32, Luke 18, or the epistle reading which we are going to examine, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, going to chapter 4, verse 5. Before we begin that, though, I do want to say something about the verses right before that. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul. And in verse 10, he says, You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Then verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that's kind of the introduction to what we're going to be looking at now with 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And here's what Paul says. But as for you, Paul talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, if you go back to other portions of Paul writing to Timothy, you'll know he had a mother and a grandmother that also brought him up in the proper teaching. That was Eunice and Lois. Plus, Paul had taught him and, in a sense, ordained him into the ministry by laying on him the hands. But what is his main point that he has been acquainted from childhood with the sacred writings. Now, we need to understand that in that day, the sacred writings were, of course, the Old Testament books, because Paul was still writing Second Timothy. It wasn't yet considered as a scriptural book. But from the sacred writings, namely the Old Testament books. Notice that it's called sacred. Another word for sacred is holy. And why, we're going to find out in a minute. But the first thing he says at the end of verse 15, these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, you can know the sacred writings. You may even have them memorized, and yet you still may not be wise for salvation. Uh, a good example of that 
I'll first of all speak about are the unbelieving Pharisees and scribes. A number of them had that Old Testament memorized. They could tell you what the middle letter of the Old Testament was, the middle chapter. They had all kinds of memory helps and aids in understanding what the Old Testament said. But you see, they had knowledge of the Old Testament writings. They did not have the proper application of the Old Testament writings. For if they did, they would have recognized Jesus to be the Messiah. Remember when John the Baptizer sends his disciples to Jesus, are are you the one that we're waiting for, or is there someone else? And Jesus says to those disciples, go back and tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the uh, lame walk, and even some are raised from the dead, like Lazarus. See, that's Old Testament promises and prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills them. So, it's not just the unbelieving Pharisees and scribes who didn't understand Jesus' mission. It was also his disciples. Remember, after his death and his resurrection, there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus who were totally confused. They had no understanding. Why did he get crucified? And Jesus appeared to them, but of course, they did not recognize him. Somehow he was hidden from them as to who he was. Now, later on, when they were breaking bread, they recognized him. But before that, Jesus gave them probably the greatest Bible study that ever took place in the Bible. And that was where Jesus began in Genesis, went through Malachi, I'm sure, talking about that he was the true Messiah and there was a reason for his crucifixion. They they didn't understand that yet. But then when you read, first of all, the historical accounts of the, resur- uh, of the crucifixion in the Old Testament, like Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet, and that he would be thirsty, etc., And then you read the application of that many places in the Bible, including Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The disciples later on say that our hearts began to beat with joy as they heard an explanation of the reason for the crucifixion. And they believed that that's why it's so important that Paul is saying to Timothy, you definitely learned from your childhood and you firmly believed that which was acquainted with the sacred writings. And they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, you want to bring somebody into the church, you share with them the sacred writings. And we have not only the Old Testament books, but the New Testament books. You just share the message 
and the application of that message. And the Holy Spirit can take that and create faith in an unbeliever so that that which was ridiculous uh, prior to that now makes total sense through faith, not through reason, but through faith. We believe it. The best example of that is Saul, prior to that Damascus experience, thought everything about this Jesus of Nazareth was so ridiculous that he was actually helping to murder Christians. But then when he came to faith, he became an apostle to the Gentiles, sharing that same message he had ridiculed because as he examined the sacred writings, he saw that which was able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, why are the sacred writings so different than any other book? Verse 16, and this is 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, what does that mean? We talk about that the Holy Scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit told the writers what words to use and therefore they just follow dictation. No, they use their own words, but the Holy Spirit made sure that what they were saying was accurate and a proper summary of the teaching of God. So, when Matthew sat down to write, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, and even the Old Testament prophets, Moses, Isaiah, etc. The Holy Spirit was working through them, breathing out into them the concepts and the teachings he wanted, and they would put it in their own language. That's why good scholars, they can take a look at, let's say, the New Testament, the Greek, and you can tell them a Greek passage, and they can tell you who wrote it. Was it John who wrote this? Was it Peter who wrote it? Was it James who wrote it? It's kind of like when you read books, like novels. Uh, A lot of people can tell who the writer is just by the words used, the phrases, etc. But all of that was absolutely accurate, these sacred writings. And they're sacred because they're holy. They were really sharing the message of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit into the minds and hearts of the prophets and the apostles for training in righteousness. Now, the next point is really critical. Verse 17, why was this done? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. A lot of people don't realize that that 
good works were not to be part of, how shall I say it, the way you got to heaven. Good works instead were what follows proper faith. In fact, um, Ephesians 2 covers that pretty well. Verse 8 and following. For by grace, that means God's undeserved favor towards you, you have been saved through faith. Notice, not through works. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's like saying a child that's adopted, that wasn't their own doing. It was a gift of prospective parents that wanted to have an adopted child. So the child should take no credit for its adoption. It was a gift given to it. Verse 9, Ephesians 2 still, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. I mean, by grace, through faith, not by works. But now listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That means he's the one that did the work in presenting us as a child of the Holy Father. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, if anybody questions you about, doesn't works make a difference as to whether you go to heaven or hell? No. Makes no difference at all. Because it's not works by which you are damned, or it's not works by which you are saved. The new paradigm is faith. Those who are saved have faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. Those who are not saved, regardless of how good their life is, are not saved because they don't believe the promises of Jesus Christ. Unbelief is what sends a person to hell. Faith is what sends a person to heaven. And guess what? Good works don't make any difference, one way or the other. And this is what Timothy had learned, that Scripture, that sacred writings, were for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. How are we trained in righteousness? We're trained because of the gospel teaching that from God's point of view, we are righteous in his sight because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died so that our sins may be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that we might be righteous in his sight because our salvation has been complete. As he himself says, it is finished. It's kind of like no child gets adopted because of good works. The good works always follow after the adoption. I've been involved in some adoptions with members of the congregation, and at times, uh, one family I know adopted a child out of Russia. They never had even met the child prior to adopting the child. And the first time they met the child is when they went over to get him and bring him back to the United States. And at that point, he was already adopted. 
But then he began to do all kinds of good works, like eating the food he was given, dressing in the clothes that he was provided, sleeping in the bed that was bought for him, etc., etc. Those are the good works that were prepared beforehand by the parents to be for the adopted child. So, these sacred writings, because they are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, you can be absolutely sure that when you read them, they are true and an accurate summary of the will of God. Going on with 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's the next verse. I charge you, this is Paul charging Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, now that's going to occur on Judgment Day, the living referring to the believers, the dead referring to the unbelievers, and by his appearing and his kingdom, and here comes the charge, preach the word. Now what does that mean? Just say the word? I'm uh, driving around going to churches in Illinois and there are quite a few hours I'm putting on on the car, about a thousand miles a week right now. And I'm listening to CDs of the Bible. And that's really fascinating just to listen to an entire book. You start hearing things, oh, I didn't know that's where that was. Boy, that's really helpful. But that's still not just preaching. I, I, I wouldn't be preaching if I stood up in the pulpit and just quoted one verse after another. I actually had a field worker, that's a seminarian assigned to my congregation at one time, who did that. Every word in the sermon was a quote from the scripture, but he put it in chronological order from the beginning of the creation of the world until the end of the world. It was very interesting. But what was missing, of course, there was no application for the people in the pew. And and that's what Paul is talking about when he says, preach the word in and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This program is called Law and Gospel. The law reproves, rebukes, and the gospel can exhort. It can give you the assurance that you are saved in Christ. We do this by administering the sacraments, comforting those in need. All this flows out of the preaching of the word. The doctrine are really the pastor's only tool for reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Not reason. Instead, we use the word of God. And we do it in complete patience and teaching. And now Paul warns Timothy of what's coming. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I mean, is this not happening? We've already talked about 
with Rumination Thursday with Wes Reinitz, some of the things that are happening in our culture. You've got a woman Methodist pastor who has now announced that she is an atheist. She doesn't believe in God. And the congregation still wants her to stay on as pastor because they have itching ears in order to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, passions where they are able to sin and no longer be told that they are wrong. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Well, if evolution isn't a myth, I don't know what is. It doesn't even make common sense. I mean, where have we ever seen, say, a a fish turn into a reptile? It just doesn't happen. Or a monkey turn into a human being. They've never been able to do that. The very essence of evolution is unprovable and unscientific. But it's a myth that they love. Other myths would be gay marriage, or it's okay to put children in the womb to death, to murder them. These are myths because they love to have people who will accumulate for themselves to suit their own passions. Passions would refer to the old Adam within us that always loves to sin. The old Adam never has proper motivation in doing a good work. I mentioned that at the congregations yesterday I was preaching. I said, I I never am able to do a sinless good work. For example, I may be going down the street and I see a lady drop her groceries, the bag breaks. I immediately go over to help pick them up. That's the Holy Spirit working in me to help her. But while I'm doing the picking up of the groceries, I'm looking around down the street to see if any of my members are going by to see what a wonderful pastor, Pastor Tom Baker is. See, that's the old Adam in me. The old Adam always wants to do things for the self. So Paul is warning Timothy that that's what's going to be happening in the future. And it's not just happening in 2019. No, you can go down through the history of the world and see it happening from, well, the beginning of the time of Adam and Eve. How about the myth about building a building to reach up into heaven so that we can become like God? I mean, there are myths all over the place. What a myth is, is somebody has an idea that this is how I can become like God, and then they attempt to do it. And it's myth because it's not true. Eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil did not make them like God. That was a a lie from Satan himself. So finally, verse 5, at the end of 2 Timothy, uh, of this reading, As for you, Paul to Timothy, always be sober-minded. In other words, don't believe these myths. Endure suffering. Wow. Well, we've already learned that suffering 
is a promise from God that you will undergo. Because why? Well, we read that just ahead of time, uh, before the uh, reading. Because there will be evil people and apostles who will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And therefore, we will have persecutions against us. But the Lord will rescue us from them all. So, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, that word evangelist kind of comes from the word for gospel, preaching the gospel, euangelion. And the work of an evangelist is to patiently share the message of Jesus Christ, endure the ministry of persecution, and the last words, fulfill your ministry. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, to chapter 4, verse 5. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we're going to take a look at a hymn, I Trust, O Lord, Your Holy Name. What does that mean? What does it mean to trust his holy name? Till tomorrow then, I'm Tom Baker with Mark Smith. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.